Association of Nurse Practitioners. I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Today's guest is Dr. James Simmons, a board-certified acute care nurse practitioner. Dr. Simmons is the founding and continuing clinical ambassador for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Let's Stop HIV campaign. He's the creator of the Ask the NP Community, and a go-to spokesperson for nurse practitioners in the national media, from ABC to Yahoo. James is often asked to address healthcare questions that are timely and that may be difficult for patients to discuss. He approaches these important topics with a unique mix of humor and candor that his many social media followers have come to know and love. Talking about HIV can be difficult, NPs must help lead the campaign to end the HIV epidemic through frank and open conversations with our patients about prevention. National HIV Testing Day is June 27th, so now is the perfect time to discuss HIV prevention with our patients. It's the ideal time to learn more about this important topic from Dr. Simmons. Welcome to NP Pulse, Dr. James Simmons. It is so nice to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I've heard so much about you and everything that you've been doing lately. And certainly Uh as an expert, yeah, a lot, a lot. (laughs) It's scary, right? A lot. Well, you know, ask the NP. It's pretty popular out there. But really, as the expert uh, in HIV, in the field of HIV, I'd really like for our listeners to hear a little bit more about you and your background and kind of how you came to be so interested in this particular field. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Kapu. I have to say that one time and then okay. now we'll, I'm James, you'll be April, right? We like that. Perfect. Sound good. Um, and the other thing, uh, so listen, I want to be explicitly clear about the fact that I do not fashion myself a- as an HIV expert. Okay. Uh, I mean, certainly more than the average bear, probably the average provider, but... Definitely um, more than me. (laughs) What I'm really good at is sort of condensing information and then communicating it in a way that people can really understand. And on a clinical level, on a provider level, on a patient level, on a consumer client level, all of those things. So there are... Many, many, many more people out there who are much better at and really the true experts at HIV care. But where I sort of lend myself and my resources and my skills and abilities is being a pretty darn good mouthpiece, I guess, and yeah, and yeah. pretty good at sort of speaking about the things in a way that people can really receive. So I just want to make that like super clear up front. 
Got it. So tell us, tell us about how you got started and, and how you got to where you are today. Well, I was born in a small town and okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> I won't go back that far. Well, you know, it's what's kind of interesting, um, specifically when it comes to, I guess, HIV work, you know, I, I, I kind of like to tell the story and this will hopefully be the saddest part of the podcast. So everybody listening, don't tune out right now. Yeah, I was a uh, a career changer nurse, so I, okay. I came into the field later, and we can talk about that in a bit. But one of the very first patients on my uh, clinical rotations as a as an RN um, mm-hmm. was uh, a patient, and we'll we'll just call him D. His okay. um, and this was a young black man from the west side of Chicago who was hospitalized for a multitude of opportunistic infections related to an HIV diagnosis that he did not know he had. And clearly, if you're hospitalizing with opportunistic opportunistic infections, you this is AIDS, right? Mm-hmm. And this was a young man in the you know 2000s who was essentially completely unaware of HIV, of AIDS, of how to have prevented it at the time. You know, we had much different ways of preventing than we do now. Um, Treatment, prognosis, all of these things. And Mm -hmm. it it was really, I mean, he was me laying in that, in that bed and, and no one was, you know, I think the thing that was really so profound for me was no one's talking to D in a way that D is receiving this information. No one looks like D. No one has D's shared experiences. And people are just using all these big medical terms and throwing all these things around. And and meanwhile, D is cachectic and wasting away and less than 70 pounds as a 25-year-old man. And like all of these, it was, it was just mind-blowing to me. And it really, I mean, he really stuck with me as, as, sort of uh, the prime example of how our our system as a whole is really failing so many individuals who in particular like D and other black men who are same gender loving or black men who have sex with men however we, however mm-hmm. we want to qualify that are at such disproportionate risk and and have incident rates of HIV that are so disproportionately you know different from other communities and and I was like that's me <laughs> like how how am I the lucky one to be 30 whatever at the time and and not be in the same situation and I was like this is even if I go into a different part of sort of like daily practice uh, when I become a nurse and a nurse practitioner this is something that I will always do and I will always fight for my community with this so um, D really really sat with me and and still continues to almost on a daily basis now um, in my clinical practice and my HIV practice and you know, unfortunately, D D died from the opportunistic infections um, from HIV, and I I feel like a man lost his life, a family lost their son and their brother, and 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 all of the horrible tragedy because we failed him, and we are failing a community, multiple communities, and we continue to, and I want to be a part of changing that. Right. So this was a very profound impact in your in your life, and and really helped to shape the focus of what you're doing today. And you've done so much throughout your career. And and you know, I heard we were talking um, the other day, and you mentioned today you're you're known as a as a together clinical ambassador. 
Mm-hmm. So now you're reaching so many more people, and and that in addition to your um, ask the NP, which which I've known and heard so much about. So tell us a little bit more about that and how your reach has really expanded as you've grown throughout your career. Yeah, come every everything's come together. Um, it's it's pretty wild and exciting and super mm-hmm. fun. So I, I definitely, for those listening, my fellow nurse practitioners and others, <laughs> um, I, I definitely can be a model for sort of a uh, what I at least used to be a non-traditional type of practice and sort of a non-traditional career route. But I think uh, it's becoming more and more common. So, you know, I, I told you I was a career changer and I had this little voice in the back of my brain ever since I was a little kid. Um, I want to be a nurse. My mom was a pediatric mm-hmm. ICU nurse. My mom's totally badass. And I was like, I want to be like my mom. But when you're the fat biracial gay kid in Nebraska in the 80s and 90s, you are not adding fuel to the fire by running around telling everyone that you also want to be a nurse. Right. Like I was already getting teased enough. And, you know, the stigma of men being nurses, at least at that time, was we a need thing. more. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do need more. Mm-hmm. I shoved it to the back of my brain, went into marketing and PR. My bachelor's is in journalism. Apparently, I'm good at writing or something. But that little voice would not go away. So during this time about the story I just told about D, uh, you know, I I was like, okay, I became a nurse and I worked at the I was at the bedside for about three and a half years, became a nurse practitioner. And about that time, everyone was doing YouTube videos because it was right? primarily just YouTube <laughs> and Facebook at the time. And what I was seeing out there were, hey, people were doing really awful, boring videos, or it was just bad information, right? Everyone, mm-hmm. we know everyone Googles stuff. They bring it into our clinics. They bring it into the hospital. They're like, I Googled, I Googled this, this thing. Yep. Totally, right? So I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We need a better resource than Google to, to help people. People just want to know, right? They just want to be empowered. They just want to be empowered about their own darn health. So, we want the facts. We want accuracy. That's ac- right. And and coming from someone that they can relate to, coming from mm-hmm. someone that they know and trust. And so I kind of took this like, well, all my friends and family are asking me every medical question under the sun. So if they're asking me, I'll bet you people online are asking me, I got a camera and a phone or whatever. Let me record some videos. Right. So I started recording these April. They were just terrible. <laughs> they were the worst videos. I saved some of them just to remind myself how far I've come. And... Uh, I'll be darned if these people, these videos didn't start getting likes and views and comments and all these things on YouTube. And they started kind of blowing up. And I had a couple of videos at the time go viral by today's standards, not so viral, but they kind of went viral because I was talking about things like, why is my poop green? Mm -hmm. And why does one testicle hang lower than the other one? Like (laughs) questions that people really want to know. People want to know. Yeah. But they're kind of maybe afraid to ask their provider, is how I would put it today. But at the time, I was like, huh, maybe this is ask the NP everything you're too scared to ask your MD. Because right. my, my shtick was kind of weird medical stuff. Right. You can ask anybody about like heart disease and statins and, you know, whatever, osteoporosis. I was like, uh, but sometimes guys are asking me random questions about their genitalia. So let me answer those questions on videos, too, because I'm not scared to do that. That has blossomed now in the last eight years into this whole Ask the NP little mini tiny little empire on social. And, you know, what I learned through this was that there is an appetite for people getting good information out there on social media from particularly nurses 
and nurse mm-hmm. practitioners. It does it. It's not just docs. And so uh, physicians, I should say, MDs, DOs. So I was like, all right, James, you have your master's, you're a nurse practitioner, you're practicing. I knew I wanted to uh, become doctorally prepared at some point. I eventually want to teach and do all of these things and speak. And the DNP really called for me. And I felt like that's a different podcast. Why the DNP over the PhD? But the DNP called for me. <laughs> And I was like, okay, wait a minute. I'm spending a lot of time and doing all this really work that I think is really great in the social media space, helping a lot of people. And I think about D every day and I'm on the board of various organizations here in Los Angeles that are, you know, helping those who are at high risk or living with HIV, particularly in terms of housing. And I was like, this is still a passion I have. Ha ha. I can merge these two things. So I did my DNP scholarly project on okay. understanding in 18 to 35 year old black men who have sex with men does an Instagram campaign using CDC resources. Let's stop okay. together. Let's stop HIV together. All coming campaign together. resources. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're making it work here. Using those resources on Instagram are 18 to 35 year old black men who have sex with men who are currently not taking prep. Do they want to take prep after this little Instagram campaign? Just a little educational campaign, right? How very nursey of me, right? It was so awesome. Like, this is what we do as nurses. Like, this is great. We educate people and we teach and we find new ways to do it. And 117 page long scholarly project later. Wow. The answer is, yeah, if you do it in the right way. Like, people do have an appetite for this information on social media. And the CDC seems to be doing really well with their resources. The resources seem to be targeting folks in the right way. It seems to be using language that people are understanding. It seems, you know, I'm not sure any of us are really keeping up with TikTok these days, but it seems to be snappy and short enough um, and consumable enough. And because I used their resources and had reached out to the CDC for my scholarly project and done all of this work, the CDC then reached back and said, hey, not only are we very interested in your numbers and statistics and your findings from your project, but also we have this great program called Let's Stop HIV Together. And we have community ambassadors who are non-clinical people out there spreading the word about preventing HIV through PrEP and clinical ambassadors who are doing the same thing. And we think you would be a fantastic clinical ambassador. By the way, this is year one of the program. So you're going to be one of the guinea pigs. And that was two years ago. And here we are now. And here we are now. And so you're a clinical ambassador and an amazing nurse, by the way. And you've reached a lot of people already. And so you mentioned PrEP. And for all of our listeners, and me included, Mm -hmm. share with us a little bit more about PrEP, because you brought that up, and I think this is something that we all need to hear more about, not just uh, the public and consumers, but us as nurse practitioners. I 100% agree, because it is wild to me how many people do not know about PrEP. Now, clearly, I'm biased. I identify as queer. I am in a... Uh, and cisgender so Mm -hmm. queer is sort of all-encompassing from a sexual attraction like who i tell people this you know gender identity is who i identify as sexual orientation is who i identify with who's in the bed with me right who am i sleeping with and who do i identify with okay so i am queer i'm cisgender meaning i was assigned gender the gender of male at birth and that's how i continue to identify and 
my community has obviously specifically been targeted for oral HIV prophylaxis because in the gay man community, for sake of conversation, we have had much higher incidents, right? Much higher rates of HIV uh, throughout the entire ongoing epidemic of HIV slash AIDS. So what my community knows about so many other folks don't know about, and that is we have oral medic now a shot as well, but we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. We have originally oral medications, a pill that you can take every day that is up to 99% effective at preventing HIV through sexual contact. Wow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. When I tell people this, that, hey, we have the science, we have the medicine that can prevent you from getting HIV through sex. And so many people, generally straight folks, say, what? Are Are you kidding me? Why haven't I heard about this? And that's where I get say, ha ha, that's because people like me haven't done enough of our job yet. <laughs> we got to start telling everybody this. And particularly, April, as clinicians, think about the number of times where we have an opportunity to talk with someone about sexual behaviors and, and harm reduction and risk management when it comes right. to sex every and day. all those things every right. day. And how many times have us have we have clinicians who don't know about PrEP left that out of the conversation Not clearly because it. we didn't know about it? Exactly. So oral HIV prophylaxis. There are two the brand names right now, and they're the most commonly used, so I will use them. But it's Truvada was the first one, okay. and Discovy is the second one. Truvada is approved for use, and I know we're going to get into a little bit of details of this, but Truvada is approved for use in everybody essentially everybody who's having who's sexually active currently hiv negative no real bad kidney disease those are kind of the three modifiers for us clinicians uh truvada is approved for everybody discova is approved for men who have sex with men cisgender men who have sex with men and cabotegravir which is the shot now (laughs) hooray 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 wow Um, can't believe he said that's a big word okay say that again the shot is what the shot is every two months. Okay. It is approximately as effective as uh, the pills uh, mm-hmm. in some early research, maybe even better, but you know, we're still a little early with the stuff. Approximately 99% effective, preventing HIV transmission through sex when uh, taken as directed, which is a shot every two months. Okay. Apple so some, for some people, that's a little bit easier. A shot every uh, two months versus a pill every day. Way easier. Okay. I, isn't that wild? I mean, I have I have uh, hypertension and have since I was 17. It's sort of a family thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell you. I'm 43. I can't tell you how many times in the last however many years that math is. I have forgotten to take my darn lisinopril every day, right? Right. right. You know, I, I probably have averaged six out of seven days throughout that, that lifespan, which is pretty good. I mean, my blood pressure is well managed, but... When it comes to, you know, someone who's maybe sexually active, maybe potentially at high risk for exposure to HIV and transmission, it's it's really, it's, you know, as directed right now and recommended by the CDC right. to take this every day, it really works. But if that's not a, available and accessible to you, if you are worried about housing, food, your kids, are you're still homeschooling them, 
or you're worried about them being sick or you're taking care of a parent or you've got 17 jobs and 14 kids at home and you got you are just a busy person you probably are not remembering your pills so that's okay now we have a shot option every two months it's it's really fantastic and this is the beauty of being an NP. We are very, very focused on social context and 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 what works for you um, in terms of is it pills, is, is it the shot? So you highlighted some of the guidelines associated with PrEP. So can you share a little bit more? Because I, I think you said that there were some updates uh, to the guidelines. Yeah, so there's two really big up lot updates to the HIV uh, prevention and conversation guidelines. Very succinctly, the two of them are, we need to have this conversation with everyone. We need to inform okay. all, I, I will read verbatim, right? So um, the CDC is happy with me. Inform all sexually active adults and adolescents that PrEP can protect them from getting HIV. That is update number one. So okay. before we had all of the yummy, juicy, wonderful data, we were really only having these conversations with individuals we thought were at highest risk for exposure to HIV through sexual practices. Generally speaking, folks in the gay, queer community, um, sex workers, uh, um, some trans folks who are having sex with men who have sex with men, things like that. Okay? okay, But we're not exclusionary anymore because, you know, personally, not on behalf of the CDC, my thoughts, we shouldn't have been in the first place. Like everybody's having sex with everybody and we just know this, right? How did we get to where we are as a species? So if you're having sex and you're HIV negative, you are at risk for potentially being exposed to HIV, like just period, full stop. Well, now we have the data to sort of support that, right? We wait for the data. We have the data to support that, which means now as clinicians, it is uh, a very strong recommendation from the CDC that we be having conversations with every single person in our clinical environment who is sexually active about their HIV status and letting them know that there are options to prevent HIV, either oral or with a shot. Okay. That's, now, if we if we want to get the data, get the um, guidelines ourselves, is that pretty easy to find on the CDC website or how would you direct us as nurse practitioners? Because yeah, it sounds like we all need to be having this conversation every day. Right. This is one of those things in your clinic where you're like, I'm going to somebody print this out for me. Let's put it up in my office or put it up in each room uh, just so as the visual reminder. Right. I like uh, visual reminders for things when I'm taking care of patients, of course, and in general. Um, so you can go to the CDC. There's something called CDC Nexus. Um, okay. and, and it's that is the clinical guidelines in particular. And you can get them sort of as one-sheeters. You can read those, all of the data and the expansive, you know, 78-long-page reports and everything in between. So CDC Nexus is where you'll go for clinicians, as well as there's links on that page to get to resources for your patients. So if you want little flyers to pass Perfect. out, you want to direct them to things, you want to direct them to the Let's Stop, H it's Stop HIV Together Instagram page, which is really awesome. Um, all of those things are there, CDC Nexus, where you will also find update number two, which is cabotegravir, which I talked about earlier. So mm -hmm. that's the shot. So people who have had problems taking PrEP orally. So remember, PrEP is the PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis is the acronym. So HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis. We had previously been offering it as one or 
or one of two pills, Truvada or Descovy. Now, if people have failed that therapy, which is what we would say in the clinical environment, if people have failed that therapy, oh, okay, you're still interested in HIV prevention and in prophylaxis, but you're not able to take your pills. I got you, girl, no problem. You want a shot every two months? Great. Mm -hmm. It's called cabotegravir. Let's make sure you're eligible for it. And if you are, let's do it. Okay, okay. Now you've been looking at the data uh, across the country uh, quite a bit. Now there is something that I wanted to ask you about, and it's called ending the HIV epidemic in the U.S. priority areas. What mm -hmm. is that? Mm -hmm. What is that? Before April, if I can jump in really quick, we get to the priority areas because mm -hmm. I think this is really important for everybody listening. Because you probably are in a priority area and you might not even, not have known it. Okay. We can end the HIV epidemic. I just, I want really people to really hear that and really understand it and believe it. Because we have, for simplicity's sake, we've talked a lot already about oral and by shot. So HIV prophylaxis for folks who are mm -hmm. HIV negative, sexually active, we can give you a pill or a shot that is up to 99% effective at preventing HIV through sexual contact. Wow. But what about the folks who have HIV? Well, okay. treatment can be therapy. So treatment for your HIV is not only good for you, but it's good for everyone else, including the people that you are having sex with. So treatment as prevention, meaning if we have individuals who have HIV and we are able to get them on antiretroviral therapy, which mm -hmm. suppresses their viral loads to an undetectable level, meaning the lab ain't picking it up. I don't see any viral load in you at all. If we get that viral load undetectable, scientifically, statistically, you cannot transmit HIV. Okay. So if we have HIV positive folks who are undetectable, just, I mean, this excites me so much. Mm -hmm. So just think about this. This is so important. Isn't this incredible? So if you have patients who, are, who have HIV, their viral loads are undetectable. They cannot transmit HIV through sexual contact. And then if they're having sexual contact with someone who is HIV negative and on PrEP, that is up to 99% effective at preventing HIV through sex, you essentially have no means to transmit HIV. Okay. And then we work towards getting to the end of the pandemic because we're no longer transmitting the virus to each other, at least sexually. So. Okay. Ending the epidemic is huge because we can, because now we have the tools and resources, but where do we focus those, right? Instead of just a broad mm -hmm. swath of like, hey, everybody, let's do this. There are some areas of the country that I'm sure most of us can imagine that are that are these kind of hot zones where we see greater than 50% of, you know, approximately greater than 50% of the new HIV cases. And they're primarily targeted in several states. So uh, kind of the southeastern part of the United States, for sure, is is absolutely a hot zone. Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, um, Oklahoma sneaks in there. South Carolina are very, very important places okay. where the CDC is really focusing their energy, as well as then individual counties within certain states. So like I live in Los Angeles County. That is one of the focus areas. And there are about 50 of those counties throughout the United States where we're really targeting and focusing and saying, hey, okay, the majority of 
it new HIV diagnoses in communities are happening in these 50 slash 57 zones. This is where we really need to target ourselves. Okay. And they're primarily in larger urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Arizona, Maricopa County is the Phoenix area, right? Does that make sense? So Maryland is Baltimore City, Montgomery County, Prince George's County. That's the uh, Baltimore area so this is available the very specific ones are available also on on the cdc website um because i think it's really important to know that you may not even know that you're practicing in an area that is you know designated as one of these like 50 ending the hiv epidemic sort of focus zones Mm -hmm. and if you're practicing in that area and now all of a sudden after this amazing podcast you know all about hiv prophylaxis you're like, wow, I've probably been taking care of a lot of patients who can really benefit from this information and they're at even higher risk than other folks. Let me go ahead and integrate this into my practice. Right, right. So we need to know where those priority areas are, but I think you brought up a good point earlier. We, No matter where we are and no matter where we're practicing, we need to be incorporating this into our practice and into mm-hmm. our conversations uh, with our patients uh, every day. And so, I, you know, you said something that just, you know, I've heard this before, but when you said it, we can stop the HIV epidemic. That is, that is a big statement. Isn't that so crazy? if you're, if, but if you're sharing this information in so many different, different ways, social media, and, and we're hearing this, why, what are the barriers? Why aren't we all because you are doing something big. You're empowering not only people, but us as nurse practitioners, mm-hmm. why, what are those barriers? Why aren't we moving faster towards stopping it? Oh man, we, we have time for 14 other podcasts. Are you ready? Cause I got, I got, <laughs> sure. I got thoughts on this one. No, I'll, I will keep it succinct. Why aren't we, I mean, that's, there's, there's a lot of things and I'll sort of separate it out for maybe, you know, uh, patients, consumers and, and, and clinicians. Go back to nursing school, go back to NP school, go back to continuing education. Unless you have specifically sought this information out, when was it taught to you, right? We learned the pathophysiology of HIV, but I, I know that in the, the hospital where I practice right now, no one shared this yet. I mean, other than me, right? I've been like, hey, y'all, my colleagues, I'm like, y'all need to come over here. And of course, the my two favorite infectious disease uh, folks who are running around, they, they know all about this and they're great. But it's it's not part of sort of the the broader spectrum of continuing education. And that's why the CDC has developed these programs the let's stop HIV together, both a community ambassador and clinical ambassador program is to say, hey, let's take some of the stigma. Scratch that all of the stigma away from having a conversation about HIV. We have to get to a place as clinicians, as nurse practitioners to be as comfortable talking about HIV and about sexual health with our patients when it's appropriate, as we are talking about statins, as we are talking about, you know, blood pressure medication, as we are talking about COVID, right? We've been talking about that for two and a half years. So because we're not, because this wasn't necessarily taught to us in school, these primary prevention methods now, it's new for a lot of folks. I think we just have to continue to bring the awareness, right? Change starts with awareness. And so if we're making people aware of these things, then people can start to learn how to change. 
And the CDC also provides really great resources about how to sort of integrate this into your practice. So, you know, those are the kind of, all right, political top line. This is what's really going on. If, if I dig a little bit deeper, and this is very much James Simmons speaking here, you know, there is a lot of stigma and there is a lot of uncomfortability around people, A, talking about sex, period, B, talking about queer sex, which has been the primary community impacted by the HIV epidemic since the beginning, although those numbers are changing. And it's primarily people of color, right? So when I started, these numbers have changed a bit recently, but when I started my scholarly project into to doing the research in 2017, but really in 2018 for my DNP, 50% of all new HIV diagnoses were among that target group that I mentioned before, 18 to 35 year old black men who have sex with men. Mm-hmm. We make up 3% of the population, approximately. <laughs> what? Whoa, hold on a second, wait a minute. We, we make up so approximately such a small percent of the population. Why are we accounting for an obnoxiously disproportionate part of new of HIV incidents, of new HIV diagnoses? It's huge. It, yes. And if I can be blunt, again, James speaking, it's racism, right? We It's very clear that our healthcare system is rooted in racial biases, and we're working very hard to fix those. But... We're not talking about generally poor, generally urbanized, though in the Southeast, it's it's a real issue as well. Young black men who have sex with men who may not even be out. They may not, They that community doesn't necessarily identify as like the will and grace gays of the world, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that I care for and a lot of the, the men, the cisgender men that I care for don't and probably never will identify as gay. So even when we've been like, okay, we're cool talking about gay sex, we're cool talking about HIV, we we need to develop this into our practice, it's still been, oh, well, my comfortable cisgender gay white man who lives in West Hollywood or Boys Town in Chicago or whatever your little gay hood is in your city, oh, I work with him, he's fine, he's comfortable, he's like me, he he talks like me, and and he's gay, and that's cool, and we can talk about it. And that's where a lot of the efforts were targeted at first. unfortunately leaving out these communities who are clearly disproportionately impacted. And that is part of the reason why I wanted to do what I do with my scholarly project and why I continue to do what I'm doing now and why I think we all have a responsibility as a nurse practitioner community to be able to influence and change this conversation and really change those numbers, right? There's absolutely no reason why those numbers can't happen. But it's on us as a profession to do more things like this, to do more educating, to do more talking amongst ourselves about we are really in a unique position to absolutely change the game with this and be a significant part of ending the HIV epidemic because we can do it and it's not going to happen without us. Right, right. And here's where I just show the compelling numbers of nurse practitioners out there today and we really are at the intersection and we need to be aware if we are really about health equity if we are really about understanding and incorporating social determinants of health we need to peel back and be aware and we need to really be focused on health disparities and we need Mm -hmm. to be working to end this 
And so I think you bring up a lot of great points. And um, with the increasing rise of nurse practitioners, we're up to over 355,000 nurse practitioners. In are the we really? Today. Yeah, <laughs> we are. That's great. Uh, you know we that can I can make completely... a huge impact here. Yeah. Huge. I think I quoted my, my I quoted myself the other day. How fun. How weird is that, James? <laughs> Come on. Uh, I think I was I was on another uh, uh, podcast in that I think I said we were at about almost three hundred thousand. So we're three fifty five. You said since April? then, that's great. Yep. That's amazing. We're in an ideal position to make change, and I think your message and what you're doing is is amazing. And I hope if everyone that is listening today, every nurse practitioner listens to what you have shared with us today. If they go to those resources on the CDC website and they really incorporate this in their conversations with every single person that they're working with throughout the day, throughout the evening, in whatever setting. I know you and I are both acute care, we're in the hospital, but in every setting, and so I, I, I've just really enjoyed speaking with you today. Is there anything else you'd like to share uh, with our listeners uh, uh, today? I, I just think, you know, don't be scared. It, this, this feels like, oh my gosh, this is one more thing I got to learn. Particularly, and I'm kind of really talking to outpatient folks who are seeing maybe adolescents, college age, you know, older mm-hmm. uh, adults, all the way through older adults. Right. We, we have some statistics showing that HIV is growing in some older populations um, in some of those hot zones, by the way. So uh, whoever is sexually active, I think we just we have to step out of ourselves a little bit and just not be scared to have the conversation. Just I promise you, while you're sitting at home watching the ultimatum on Netflix tonight or whatever, right, whatever you're watching, <laughs> go on and pull up that CDC website. Just literally Google CDC HIV prep. Or CDC Nexus, right? That's the clinician website, CDC Nexus. Just Google that, go to the website, you'll learn a bunch of stuff, download it to your phone, then you have it in your pocket. And don't be scared to say, oh, hey, are you sexually active right now? Cool. What types of things do you need to prevent, you know, STIs and HIV? Oh, you, you haven't heard of PrEP? Cool. Let me teach you about this real, real fast. You know, I know we only have so much time in the clinical environment, but I'm gonna teach you about this. Here's a flyer. You know, come to me for resources. I'm learning this too. Let's learn it together. Like our patients, I think, love that when we're like, did you know? (laughs) Because I just learned and we can learn this together and you can still be out there enjoying yourselves as a sexually active, you know, responsible adult and also protecting yourself from HIV. So don't think of this as a big thing like, oh, my gosh, I have to learn you know, the new heart failure, New York heart failure mm-hmm. classifications and how I'm going to manage this person in the ICU. Like, no, 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 not, not that big of a deal. CDC makes it super easy. They have cute little videos. They got cute little things you can post on your own socials. Like all this stuff is there for you and your patients. It can be really easy. And just think of how the impact, the 355,000 of us, like you said, April, at that unique intersection of understanding health equity, social determinants of health, because we really get that. And I think that's right. why it's so important that we as nurse practitioners, you know, not only do we have the uh, excellent clinical outcomes, you know, equal to or even better than that in some cases of our some of our counterparts, but people like us more and they listen to us more. Like, let's mm-hmm. use trust, that power. Mm-hmm. Trust they us. trust mm-hmm. us. And so mm-hmm. who better than us to be the largest part of the catalyst towards moving towards ending the HIV epidemic? 
Yeah. I, I definitely, just in talking to you, don't see it as a, another thing uh, to learn. I really think this is a gift. This is a gift, and you become much more aware. You become a better uh, provider, a better clinician, but your patients get better care, and they're more engaged in their health care. So Dr. James Simmons, thank you so much for joining us today on NP Pulse. It has been so nice to have some time to speak with you. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you, James. As you mentioned, much of what we discussed may be new to our listeners, but the insights you shared with us point towards optimism and the knowledge that together we can and will end the HIV epidemic. As nurse practitioners, it's imperative that we continue building our knowledge about culturally competent care, identifying priority jurisdictions where residents are at higher risk of HIV infection, and untangling stigma around social determinants of health, especially for those communities at high risk. Together, we can improve patient care and make a measurable difference. To our listeners, We hope you enjoyed this lively and illuminating episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. You can find James on social media and also via askthenp.com. Please review this podcast description on whichever platform you're listening to access resources related to this episode and to the June 27th observance of National HIV Testing Day. No matter where you practice, AANP has a wealth of educational resources that will be helpful to you and your patients. Your AANP membership supports the development of these many resources, as well as advocacy efforts for nurse practitioners and our patients on critical issues like full and direct access to care, equity and payment, and changes to outdated laws and regulations. I encourage you to get involved with your National Professional Association and add your voice to those of our NP colleagues nationwide. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. (laughs) 